take your outlines if you need one. I think there's some back there in the sound booth. And uh, Brother Andrew, maybe you could pass some of those out. And uh, uh, we have someone there at the door if you want to. I have my readers on. I can't see that far away. But tonight, we are going to start more properly our, our series on the Old Testament tabernacle. How, how many of you have been here for one of, at least one of our trips through the tabernacle? I mean, we've, I think we've done this about three times. And I saw Brother Dave with two fingers up. He's been there twice. And, and uh, I... Uh, Again, I hope you do not mind. Uh, it's just on my heart, and uh, it's something that is important. Uh, last uh, Thursday night, we, we spent our time talking about the worthiness of God. Uh, we, we understand that God is great, that God is good, there is no God like the God of the Bible. We, we know those things. But do we really apply them to our everyday thought process as we think about God, as we approach Him, as we count on Him for the privilege of of prayer? And we, uh, we sometimes, it is very easy, this is, uh, really, the theme of the book of Malachi is the children of Israel, the Levites, the priests. Uh, they had gotten used to their worshiping God. In fact, they had gotten so used to their worshiping God, they were no longer careful in how they approached God. They did not esteem Him as they should. And, and Malachi gives very harsh and severe judgments and and a challenge to the nation of Israel to worship God the way that He deserves, the way that He ought to be worshipped. And and so tonight what I'd like to do is kind of finish the uh, uh, introduction to the subject of the tabernacle. We had someone said, where is the tabernacle? And, and uh, you'll find it First mentioned in the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus and Numbers uh, and Deuteronomy deal with all of the ceremonies and things that went on in the tabernacle. We call it the Old Testament tabernacle or the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then uh, later, under the reign of Solomon, actually several hundred years later, uh, we go through the time of the Judges. We go through the king of 40 years under Saul, 40 years under David, and then Solomon, David's son, builds the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem stood roughly 350 or so years. Then it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Then it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel, but the difference was there was no Ark of the Covenant in the second temple. And if we understand our Bible correctly, and we certainly believe we do, there, there is going to be another temple built in the city of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount during the tribulation period. And in the middle of the tribulation period, the thing that is going to betray the Antichrist 
as the Antichrist is an act that's described in the book of Daniel called the abomination of desolation. That's where the Antichrist walks into the temple and attempts to sit upon the mercy seat, which won't be there because they haven't found the ark and they're not going to. Uh, And he is going to sit in the temple and claim to be God. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, at when that, the book of Daniel, when that happens, the Jewish people as a nation are going to wake up and understand that the only person in all of history that could be their Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. And then things are really going to get bad. But Jesus will come and set up his kingdom. And then that is where I believe the temple in the book of Ezekiel. How many of you have read the last eight chapters, nine chapters, Ezekiel 40 through 48? And you sit there and you go, oh my, Uh, and so many steps this way and so many cubits this way and this chamber had a hold on this and, and people get all confused there. There has never been, as far as we know, a building built like is described in the book of Ezekiel. Now, you can do one of two things. Uh, I've met people and they say, huh, it's figurative. It's never going to be real. Now, how many things does God describe in such detail that are figurative that are never going to be real? Uh, I'll tell you, I can't find any precedent for that in the Bible. I believe that's going to be the temple that is going to be built during the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be in operation. And the Jewish priests, are, are the sons of Zadok, are going to offer sacrifices there. And, and some uh, times we just finished a whole series on dispensationalism. And, and there, there are some dispensations that said, no, they can't, they can't offer a blood sacrifice after Jesus died on the cross. Oh, wait a minute. What did every blood sacrifice before the cross do? Taught us about Jesus. Uh, During the millennial kingdom, could not the blood sacrifices still teach us about Jesus? Well, I think they could. Uh, I believe they will. And and I will tell you... uh, There is nothing pleasant about a blood sacrifice, an animal being offered. There's there's nothing sweet about that. We need to be reminded constantly. Every sacrifice reminds us of the suffering of God. And so, as we talk about all these things, what we're trying to do is deal with this subject. Last Thursday night, we dealt with worthiness. We worship the God of the Bible. We obey the words of the Bible for one reason. There's nothing else. There are no other options. Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're going to go to heaven, that is the only way you're going to get there. Uh, People say, well, what about the Jewish people living today? Uh, Same message we give to the Gentiles. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, as 
we look tonight, the idea here is, the thing I want us to keep foremost in our mind, everything we talk about, is approaching God. Uh, there are certain times, certain places, where uh, uh, a specific protocol has to be followed if you're going to talk to a, a person. Uh, some of you may remember when Peter graduated high school, we had Brother Dave Brown out here from Yakima, Washington, and, and he's been a dear friend over the years. Well, uh, when George Bush Jr. was in the White House, he actually got an invitation to visit President Bush in the White House. And, uh, boy, he was texting everybody, I'm going to the White House. Ah, this is so cool. And, and, wow, it would have been. What a privilege. But he got a visit from the FBI months ahead. And here he is. He has an invitation from the president to visit the president in the White House, and they're fingerprinting him. They're running background checks. And, and they're uh, checking everything out about him, and they tell him when he is supposed to arrive in Washington, D.C., when he is supposed to be there, how he is supposed to be. They tell him everything. And if he didn't follow the protocol, he would not have been allowed to meet with the president. You know, I've had some people say, well, do you have a dress code at your church? No, we don't. But we do ask, and if you're going to serve, yeah, actually, we do have a dress code if you're going to serve. You know why? Because if it's important to see the president, if it's important enough for a job interview... I had a preacher once tell me, he said, my, the men in my church get dressed up every day to go to business and deal with all the pressures of this world. They ought to be able to wear shorts and t-shirts when they come to church. I said, man, if that's the God you serve, have at it. My God's worthy of a little more effort than that. Amen? And by the way, don't ever, and I mean this with all of my heart, You never let your clothes stop you from worshiping God. If all you had is a t-shirt full of holes and tennis shoes with your toes sticking out, you come church. Because God is first. But I will tell you this. How many of you remember what a spiritual mess you were in when you got saved? Did God fix you? Yeah. He's still, he's still working on me. I love that song, don't you? Uh, he'll do the same with the outside if you let him. Amen? And so, as we talk about approaching God, we, the first thing we need to remember, and, and again, this is basically just reviewing what we did under dispensation, it's always God seeking man. It is never man seeking God. Man is not. This is where the Calvinist gets on the train, but then he runs it off the tracks. You see, it is always God approaching man. God is the instigator. It was God that came looking for Adam and Eve. It was God that refused to respect Cain's offering. It was God that 
instructed Adam and Eve and clothed them. It was God that has given us His Word and sent us His Son. Everything's about God. But God did not make us robots. That's the God of Calvinism. You see, it comes from a mentality, a philosophy that we, if you want to use that word, that the king who ruled an area had to have everybody in agreement with him or he put you on the rack and strung you up or put you in prison and confiscated your lands. If the king was going to be in charge, he had to be in charge of everything. Is that true? No, that's not true. In fact, that's what we call slavery. Whether it's mental slavery, feudal slavery, chattel slavery. You know what we have found in America? That when individuals freely choose to follow and be a part, we are unstoppable. That's how the revolution was won. Not by conscripts. That's what King George was doing. He was hiring the Hessians. Do you know the patriots, each one of them, had to volunteer. That's why our military today is an all-volunteer military. We find the service of volunteers is ten times the service of draftees. You see... God is interested in freely choosing God. Amen? God wants us to approach, but God is the uh, instigator here. Everything originates with God. And and point two I have on your outline here is uh, there are many times, as you read uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that they die not, that he die not. I want you to understand that in the wilderness wanderings, those words had a a very great import. 600,000 men of Israel died in 40 years. You do the math, that's about 42 funerals a day for 40 years. Every day the children of Israel had to bury the dead because the children of Israel refused to believe the words of God and obey God and enter the land of Canaan when he told them to. So that generation died. How about Dathan and Abiram as they raised up a rebellion against Moses and the sons of Korah as they stood there in front of the altar offering incense, and a fire came out from before the Lord and burned up 250 sons of Korah, and Dathan and Abiram, and all that they had, the earth just literally opened up beneath them, and they went alive into the pits of hell. And they're still there today. That's terrifying, is it not? When the Bible says that he die not, talking about Aaron and his sons, that they die not, talking about the Levites, talking about the children of Israel, uh, 
I, I will tell you, we have emphasized God's grace to a point that we have transgressed His holiness. Can we grab a hold of that? I am so glad God is gracious. And you'll often hear me say, I thank God for His patience with me. How about you? Can we say amen that God is patient with us? But I want you to understand the God of the New Testament has not changed. He's still the same God. And He wants us to approach Him carefully. Could we not say the greatest accomplishment a human being can perform is the act of worshiping God in a God-accepted manner. That's the greatest thing we can do, is to bring worship to God that He will accept. This is the root of everything that is going on in our society today. This is the whole uh, uh, essence of this emergent church movement, denying the existence of a local independent assemblies responsible only to Jesus Christ. Uh, This is the thing with the purpose-driven movement that that pretends and turns the church uh, from the body of Christ to a service bureau where I take my life in and God fixes it and makes me better. And I I don't know how else to say that. Yes, God's got to fix you before He can use you. There is nothing about you that enhances God in any way. But He wants us to willing, freely, biblically choose to worship Him. I got a phone call this week from some, I think it was... Well, anyway, some organization. They, oh, we minister to Jewish people. I said, okay. I said, which organization is this? And I started naming a few. And he said, oh, no, it's none of those. It's a different one. And uh, I said, you know, I said, you probably ought to just take us off your call list. Oh, why would you say that? And then he goes on. We We believe in reaching into all denominations and Messianic congregations and Pentecostal. And I said, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I said, how, how do you do that? I said, one of the earmarks of the Pentecostal movement is they believe in a temporary salvation that you can take from God and you can return to God. You can lose your salvation. I said, how do you get that from the Bible? Oh, you're just so narrow-minded. He said, I've met people like you. You think you're the only ones going to heaven. And I said, oh, wait a minute. Let's stop there. I said, that's not true at all. I said, we don't trace our history in our name. There's an awful lot of Baptist churches out there that are not candlestick churches. Things really got quiet when I used that term. Because candlestick is from the menorah in the tabernacle. That's a Jewish word. How dare you? Oh, wait a minute. You don't own the Bible. 
just like I've met several Greeks. Oh, listen, I understand the Bible because I speak Greek. Uh, the, the Greek that's in your Bible is as different from modern Greek as Spanish is from English. Uh, don't give me that. The only way you learn your Bible is the same way I learn my Bible. You've got to study it. You've got to be in it. You've got to read it. You've got to pay attention. You see, God wants every man to worship Him. But God is under no obligation to accept the slop that you deem worthy of God when He has already established the standard of what He says is worthy of Himself. Do we, do we get that as a church? I mean, this is important. This is what we struggle with. You see, we get beat up every day. We, uh, we work in places where people hate God and hate the Bible and we hear cursing everywhere we go. Uh, we've got, uh, what is it now, 23 candidates for the President of the United States on the Democratic ticket, and every one of them have only one thing in common. They hate the morality of this book called the Bible and the God of this Bible, though they're, most of them aren't honest enough to admit it. That's a terrifying thing. And... By the way, the president we have, I, I pray for him and I want you to pray for him. But uh, I don't think he qualifies for saint in the Bible. Uh, you have to be saved to be a saint. Now, we need to pray for our president. But if I had a choice between him and some of these candidates, uh, you need to pray. Our mayor is looking to get into the race. And I will tell you, I'm not a prophet, but that guy, our mayor, is one of the greatest politicians alive in America today. He's a very dangerous man. You need to pray. Because I couldn't even imagine a country with a president like de Blasio. That, that would be, I, I couldn't imagine it. But it could happen. I want you to pray. But I also want you to understand that what are we supposed to do in these wicked times? What are, how are we supposed to live for God? We are supposed to worship Him according to the standards He set in the Scripture. Uh, I want to challenge you. Let's, let's just look up a few verses here. Uh, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, if you would. Philippians chapter 2. And the Bible tells us to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, who being in the form of God, verse 6, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus 
Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Does that sound like Revelation chapter 4 and 5? I'll tell you it does, doesn't it? And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to understand something. God does want us. He does desire for you and I to worship Him. And you will worship Him one way or another. You will do it in this life willingly. Or you will do it bound hand and foot before they take you to the pit of the lake of fire that burneth with fire and brimstone forever and ever. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the only place where God forces worship. But I'll tell you, it won't do any good to the people that he forces it from. This is one of, another one of the reasons why we reject this Calvinism philosophy. Now, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And I, I'll tell you, uh, I just gave you a list of things that I'm asking you to pray for. And, and I, I don't know if I told you this or not. Um, I know I told the guys that helped us. All the cars moved before we started to work. Not one ticket, not one tow. God answered all that prayer. You know, as a pastor, I don't like towing people's cars. Because that's expensive. And, and I don't want, I wouldn't want somebody to tow my vehicle if it was put in the wrong place. Uh, but listen, I ask you as a church to pray. God answered those prayers. And we... Uh, and the Lord worked out of those details. Now I want you to pray. The inspector comes and goes, Wow, this is fabulous. A plus. And walks away. That's, that's what we want to pray for. Amen? And uh, Because that's really what should happen. But look at verse 16. Oh, let me get my readers back on here. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many of you could raise your hand and say, I've got a need in my life right now other than the ones you mentioned? Every one of us. The Bible says that we have a right To open the door and walk into the very throne room of God and approach His throne in prayer. The Old Testament tabernacles, we go through this, teaches us more about prayer than any other place in the Bible. Uh, It's just absolutely amazing. Prayer is part of our worship to God. Real prayer is real work. Listen, God wants us to pray. Jesus told the disciples, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive. Why? That your joy might be full. How many of you have ever experienced the joy of answered prayer? I'll tell you, it's a special thing. Knowing that God cared enough about something I prayed for to answer me. 
Don't ever get over that. Don't ever fail to sit there and, okay, if you want to use the word awesome, that's a place where you use the word awesome. Okay? It's not awesome pizza. It's not awesome experience. It's not awesome. uh, But when God answers my prayer, He is an awesome God. Amen? It ought to fill you. It ought to take your breath away. That God would consider us. That God would use us. God has given us a way to approach through faith. At first, if you study your Bible, who did God deal with in Genesis chapter 3? When Adam and Eve had sinned, who did God talk to? Did he talk to Eve? No, he talked to Adam. God said, why did you do what you did? And Adam, being a man, did the brave and manly thing and tried to blame his wife. Now, guys, don't ever do that. didn't work for Adam. It won't work for you. Uh, Besides, Mother's Day is coming. Do something nice. Amen? Uh, But the point that we're making here is God chose the eldest man in the household to be the person that would approach God for the other family members. And it goes right down the list. God came to Adam. Seth. Men began to call upon the name of the Lord, didn't they? And God spoke directly to Cain. God gave Noah the plans for building the ark. God called Abraham. God's intent was that every family would have as the eldest son, as the leader of that family, the patriarch, we might say, he was supposed to be the representative or the priest for that family directly to God. God, that's what God meant when he said, in Abraham shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God was trying to give that responsibility to a member of each family on this earth. Didn't work out very well for Israel. And so what did God do? He said, because of Phineas's righteousness and zeal for God, because of the zeal of the tribe of Levi at the foot of Mount Sinai when they made the golden calf, God said, I'm going to choose Aaron and Levi. Do you realize that Caiaphas, the high priest, who gave, helped manipulate and tried to give sentence of death upon the Lord Jesus Christ, was a direct descendant of Aaron. He could trace his family lineage 1,200 years back in history, uh, actually a little longer than that, more like 1,600 years. Stop and think about that. How many of you can trace your family history 200 years? 500 years? Try 1,600 years. Caiaphas was a direct descendant. He had the right to wear the garments of the high priest. Following the biblical commands. God chose, in the verses right there in your outline, Numbers 345, 
take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle, and the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. Now, each part of this tabernacle, the priesthood teaches us that God will not accept a human being just the way they are. We got to be converted. We got to be saved. You see, in Israel, you had to be born into the tribe of Levi. If you were going to be a priest, you had to be born into the family of Aaron. If you were going to be the high priest, you had to be the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son all the way back to Aaron. It's something that uh, we do not really comprehend very well as Americans how important that was. The priest had to wear special garments. The priest had to minister a special code of standards and behavior. If he transgressed that code, this statement here, that he die not, no longer applied, and he died. That's what happened to Aaron's two eldest sons, Nadab and Abihu. You can't understand the book of Revelation. You can't understand the uh, millennial kingdom unless you understand the Old Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And you certainly can't make any sense of the Old Testament without understanding the New Testament. People have always said, well, where, where do I start? Start with the Gospel of John. Always. That is the place to start, the story of Jesus. You get the Gospel of John down, then do Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and once you get that, then do the book of Acts. If you can get the book of Acts, you have the New Testament pretty well underhand. Then you go and just read through the Old Testament all the way. And to really get it, Study the book of Hebrews. I love to call it God's switchboard. It's where every connection in our Bible is made. We'll, we will find uh, much explanation of the Old Testament tabernacle in the book of Hebrews, even more so than in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, here's, here's our application. We need to understand, number one, God is... God is good. The tabernacle teaches us that. You see, God loves us. God wants us to worship Him. God wants us to be accepted by Him. Have you ever thought about that? God wants our worship to be acceptable in His sight. All we have to do is learn from the Bible how God wishes to be approached. That's why we have a church. That's why we sing the songs that we do. No, the songs that we sing are not in the Bible. Most of them. Some of them, uh, my wife has put several songs to uh, uh, verses to uh, melody, and, and we've taken several others that other people have done. And I, I love to sing Scripture songs. But, but I'll tell you, I, I, I love to sing the old hymns. Rescue the perishing duty demands it. I mean, yeah, 
That is, I know whom I have believed. Have you ever, you know, most of the world can't sing that song. 90% of people who claim to be Christians can't sing that song. My wife will remember this. We were picking up this organ at First Presbyterian in Brooklyn. And the organist was there as we were uh, beginning the process of uh, disconnecting it. And he says, let me play it for you. And wow, that guy was an organist. I mean, he, that was huge auditorium, well over uh, nearly 2,000 seats. And he, he uh, geared that thing up, and I mean the whole place. And he was playing I found a friend, saved, saved. And I'm sitting there going, you just told me you were a Pentecostal. How can you sing that song? Because you can lose your salvation. How how does that work? I'll tell you, I am so glad the God of the Bible wants to save me. He wants me to worship Him in a way that's acceptable. He gives us the privilege of praying so that He can answer our prayers His way. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Do you get that? God wants you and I, He wants Open Door Bible Baptist Church to enhance His name. That's worship. That's what real worship is. It's not... eh, That's not worship. That's what they do in the bars. That's what they do in the Broadway shows. You see, the essence of faith is believing God's words to the point of obedience. That's how you got saved, isn't it? The next step, getting baptized. The next step, becoming a member. The next step, serving the Lord. This is one of the issues I need you to pray about out of community. Uh, when Brother Josh left the church, they had about 70 people attending on Sunday morning and 17 members. Most uh, Half of which weren't attending church regularly. There's... Something really wrong with that. And that's why we've had to do so much work and struggle so much. And people get irritated and they get upset and they leave because their heart wasn't in the right place in the first place. And so now we do have a group of people that want to love the Lord and want to serve the Lord. Uh, They're no more perfect than you are. I'm glad God called me to be the pastor of this church first. Amen. And I thank you for your patience because, honestly, between our church and Riverhead, 78 miles away, that is the only church I can recommend without reservation that you attend on the North Shore of Long Island. That's that's tragedy. I don't want that church to close. Do you? Because the church is God's program. You see, faith is simply obeying God's word. Now, 
I, I want you to, in these last few moments here, and I'll, I, I won't be long, I promise, just one more passage. First John chapter 5. And uh, I promise that, uh, Lord willing, not this coming Thursday night, uh, Brother Franz will be preaching Thursday night. Uh, he'll be filling in for us as we will actually be starting on the road, heading back to New York City. And uh, Brother Uichi should actually be in town visiting us. Uh, just what a bummer. He has to choose the week. We've got to be in Oklahoma on graduation. But you make sure and extend to Brother Uichi uh, the right hand of fellowship and all of those things. Is He'll be just here for a few days from Japan. And look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, do you get what John is saying here? He said, I've written these things that you can, excuse me, that you can know that you have eternal life. How many of you used to go to a church where they talked about Jesus all the time, but they told you you couldn't know whether you were saved or not until you died? Wait a minute. Does that make any sense? The Bible says these things have been written unto you that believe you believe on Jesus, but there's a purpose in believing on Jesus, and that purpose is knowing that the issue of your eternity is settled. But then he goes on. Some of the most misinterpreted verses in all the Bible. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. How many of you could use more answered prayers? Every one of us. Well, how do you get there? Uh, this is a confidence. Just like I know I'm saved, if I know God's will and pray according to God's will, God will give me those things that He prays for. For almost ten years, two years on deputation and a year serving at All Nations Bible Baptist Church and then eight years pastoring this church, we wrote prayer letters uh, fairly regularly, at least every two months, most of the time, pretty much every month. And I ended every prayer letter with this. Please Pray with us that God will use us to establish a church in Astoria, Queens. Except for the last prayer letter. It said, God has answered your prayers. You no longer need to send support. God has established a church in Astoria, Queens. I'll tell you, that was one of the most fun, blessed, joyous days of my life, is writing that letter and saying, we no longer need missionary support. I'll tell you, God answered those prayers. Why? Because it was His will. Uh, we want God to answer those same prayers about Union Baptist Church, do we not? 
And I believe Brother Kyle coming and helping with uh, Brother Mike over there and working there. Brother Kyle eventually wants to be a missionary to Polish-speaking people. And so Greenpoint is a great place to get started. And let's pray that he's able to help Brother Mike and that three, four years down the road, he and his family at that time, which I know he's hoping to have, uh, will be heading to Poland. And uh, so you pray about those things because it's the will of God that the gospel go to the country of Poland, is it not? Amen? And I want you to seriously pray. Our worship is prayer, praying God's will. We need to pray that God will give us a pastor for Community Baptist Church. If you want to know one of the reasons why I am tired is because I'm driving 160, 70 miles every Wednesday back and forth. Uh, I just, I just would like to stop that. I really would. Uh, but you need to pray. God may answer that prayer very soon. He may answer it in a way that we don't. Maybe we'll say, really? Well, no, you never say really when God answers prayer. You say, praise the Lord. And pass the ammunition. Amen. And so, listen, we want to see God work. We want our worship to be acceptable. And God wants those things to happen. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to give us more of that fervor and excitement when it comes to worshiping our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,